Hey guys, this is Phil. Welcome to the Vision Podcast. We're glad you're joining us today. Today we're talking about why I don't go to church anymore. Many people have been hurt by the church, have been hurt by Christians, hurt by church leadership. And so it's caused them to pull away and to no longer attend church. And so we talk about this. We give scriptures from the Bible, and I think you're going to get a lot out of this today. So listen with an open heart and just want to remind you how much we love you and appreciate you. God bless you. Enjoy the podcast. If you would, if you have your Bible, would you turn over to 1 Samuel? 1 Samuel, we're going to be looking at chapter 2. There's something that I hear Often when I talk to people, in fact, when we were ministering to that family of six uh, and we were praying with them to rededicate their lives, uh, several of them said that they don't go to church anymore. And they said, the reason I don't go to church anymore is because I've been hurt in the church. How many of you know people like that? You've been hurt in the church. And so they're not coming to church anymore. They're not uh, being a part of that. And as I was praying and I was seeking God about this morning, I really felt like he wanted me to address that. And I thought, well, Lord, I mean, I'll be addressing people that are coming to church. And, but I know he has a purpose in this. Otherwise he wouldn't want me to share this. Amen. And so most people say, again, they don't go because they're hurt, but then you have coupled with that I mean, there's two, two different things to church that you seem to hear about, especially in the world. If you watch news or anything like that, you'll hear about, you know, pastors who have fallen, pastors who have who've messed up, made a mistake, or they've, you know, they've fallen. And, and so then, then, the, then Christians who have put their faith in a man, it, I mean, it totally messes them up. They don't know what to do. I mean, I remember years ago, a prominent prominent minister down in Texas that had a big fall and now all of these sheep were misplaced because their faith was in a man and so but so you have that side but then you have the flip side of that where we're in a culture and we're in a society of people that are more easily offended than I've ever ever experienced in my lifetime people that people that are easily turned off by something and and you know maybe maybe the maybe the pastor said hi to him this week and they're turned off by that or maybe the pastor didn't say hi to him and they're turned off I mean it just seems like any little thing and then and then suddenly they pull away and don't want to be a part of church anymore and so I want to address this and as I was praying about this I said God give me some examples of how could I minister this how could I share this uh, with you. And so hopefully you'll feel like God gave me a good plan. So in 1 Samuel chapter 2, first of all, I want you to notice one of the most corrupt churches that was in existence back in Bible days happens right here in, in 1 Samuel chapter 2. There was a man by the name of Eli in verse 12, and Eli had these two sons, and they were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men abhorred the offering of God. And it said, Eli, their dad, was a very old man. And so he found out about some of the things that his sons were doing. And in verse 23, look at what he says. He, 
Eli comes to his sons and he says, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. So he's not hearing, he's hearing about it from, from other folks. And it says in verse 24, he says, no, my sons, for this is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. And so Eli brings this correction, this word of correction, which is very weak at best, right? And then his sons, it says, nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father. So what his sons are doing is, is it says that um, he heard about his sons in verse 22, that, that they were laying with the women who assembled at the door, the tabernacle door. And these two guys are married. And so here they're doing all of these things. And so Eli hears about it. So I, I just bring that up to say that this is a messed up church leadership. How many of you know this is a messed up church leadership? And the father just talks to his sons, but he doesn't correct them. There's no repercussion. There's no result. There's no correction that comes to their life, right? And so El, there was a guy named Elkanah in, in 1 Samuel, Samuel chapter 1, bounce back to chapter 1. And in, verse, and in verse one, or in verse two, there was a man by the name of Elkanah. He had two wives. His first wife was Hannah, and then he had another wife, Panina. So Panina had, a lot, she had many kids. She had sons, she had daughters. Hannah, though, had no sons or daughters. And so every year they would go to Jerusalem to give their offerings. And so Elkanah would give a portion to Panina to her sons, to her daughters. But then to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and he understood what was going on. And, but here's what happened. Look at this. This is over in verse, da, 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 da. Well, let's start in verse five. It says, but to Hannah, he would give a double portion for he loved Hannah. And although the Lord had closed her womb and her rival also provoked her severely and made her miserable. Because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. So Hannah doesn't have an ex-wife who's making fun of her. She has a second wife that's making fun of her. That's teasing her. I, I went to a friend's wedding in Tulsa and so I saw some people that I had not seen in years. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm talking about former teachers and, and former mentors in my life. And one of the, one of the men uh, I recognized, and in fact, I even did work for him. He came and shook my hand and he said, Phil, man, what are you doing now? So I shared with him and he said, man, look at you. He said, you're getting older. You're losing some hair. Thanks, man. You know, I'm just sitting there. And I, for a moment, I felt like Hannah. You know, because she's being teased for something she has no control over. I have no control over my hair. I mean, it is what it is, right, guys? How many of you men know? I mean, you just start thinning out, you lose some hair, and I, this is it, guys. I'm not doing a weave. I'm not doing a wig. It ain't happening. I mean, I'm just, I'm holding on to what I got. I'm not, I'm not ready to fully commit like Chris, that stud back there. I mean, you... Dude, you fully committed, man. You shaved it off, and that's awesome. That's not me. I've seen this bald head, and it does not look good. You guys not be impressed. But anyway, but my point is, is that Hannah is being teased. And here she comes in, and she's crying. She won't eat, 
and she's weeping. And listen to what Elkanah does. Here, guys, we can take a big, this will really help us men. In verse eight of chapter one, it says, Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why, do you, why is your heart grieved? Am I not better than 10 sons? And ladies, why don't you go ahead and answer that? I said, ladies, that was a guy. Are you identifying or something? What's going on back there? So what's the answer, Miss Ecky? The answer is yes. The husband is better than 10 sons. Okay, I got another mama saying no. I got more. Okay, maybe I should just answer this. I think the answer is no, because she's weeping. I, I think husbands are amazing. You guys are great dudes. But I, she wants a baby. All right, okay, sorry. I, sh- I opened that up, didn't I? That was my fault. All right, so verse nine. So Hannah arises after finishing eating and, to, and drinking. Now Eli the priest was sitting at the seat of the doorpost in the tabernacle of the Lord. And it says in verse 10 that she was bitter in soul. She prayed to the Lord. She wept in anguish. And then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on my affliction, the affliction of your maidservant, and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give me your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall come upon his head. And so here she's praying. She's praying this passionate prayer in the bitterness of her heart and where she is. And so she prays this prayer. And then Eli's watching her pray. And he's, he's seeing her lips move, but he's not seeing anything come out. He's not hearing anything come out of her mouth. And so you know what Eli says? He goes, how long are you going to be a drunk? Put the alcohol away from you. Now today, I mean, let's just say Hannah heard that today. Oh, that's it. I'm leaving this church. I'm not coming back. You hear what that guy called me? He called me a drunk. You want to talk about a drunk? Let's talk about your boys. Let's talk about what they got going on. Let's talk about the corruption in this church. Tell me it wouldn't happen today. He calls her a drunk. And her response was not, I'm leaving the church, not I'm angry with you. He says that to her and listen to her response in verse 15. She says, no, my Lord, I'm a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I've spoken until now. And Eli flips And now he says, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant you your petition, which you have asked of him. And then she says this. She says, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. Man. And she goes home. And it says this. It says that, so the woman went her way, ate, and her face was no longer sad. How many people would have walked out of there encouraged and lifted up by being called a drunk? By the priest. And not just any priest, the high priest. You're a drunk, you know, put your... No, but what did she do? She came to the temple, not for Eli. 
She didn't come to the temple for the great worship that they were having. She didn't come to the temple because they were fixing this amazing meal. Why did she come to the temple? She came to offer her sacrifice and to seek the Lord for a child. She came to have an experience with God. Why do we come to church? Why are we here? Come on, man. For that same reason. We're here because we want an audience with the Most High. And we know he said to not forsake the gathering together of the saints. And so that means that when we come together, he's got a plan. He's got something that he wants to impart to you. He wants to encounter you and he wants you to encounter him. So listen to this. So Hannah was after something greater than offense. What was she after? She ignored the offense and the corruption and went after God. And what happened as a result? She got pregnant when she got home. And she had a little boy. And that's who this book is named after, Samuel. Glory to God. So that's one example. So we look at a corrupt church and, and... the potential reason why people won't come to church. Let's look at another church government. And this church government is found over in Matthew chapter 15. So flip over there if you don't mind. Matthew chapter 15. Now this is a different church government because the pastor is Jesus. Oh yeah. So now we have found the perfect church. Jesus is the perfect pastor, right? Pastor over the perfect church, picks his 12 disciples, and one of them is Satan. One of them is Judas Iscariot. Yeah, it's the perfect church. It is now because there's imperfection in it, right? Matthew 15, and look at verse 21. It says that Jesus, when he departed from the region of Tyre and Sidon, And behold, a woman from Canaan came from that region and cried out after him, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely severely demon-possessed. And it says, but Jesus didn't even answer her a word. He didn't answer her. Didn't pay attention to her. So it says that she left mad. She went home. Her demon-possessed daughter got worse. Eventually, she passed away, and she became a bitter old woman. Is that what it says? It says his disciples came to him and said, please send her away. She cries out after us. She's bugging us. Could you send her away? And Jesus said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she breaks through the discipleship line She gets out in front of Jesus, and now she's worshiping him. And she says, Lord, help me. And he says to her, it is not good that I take the children's bread and I throw it to the little dogs. Now, I I mean, I don't don't care how you cut that one up. Somebody is being called a dog. Wouldn't you agree that Jesus is calling this woman a dog? That's not a compliment. And so she, then she got mad and she left. She didn't get her miracle. No. Listen to what her response is. In verse 27, she said, yes, Lord, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's 
table. And then Jesus looks at her and he says, oh woman. He was impressed. Great is your faith. Let it be done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Man, what did she do? She pushed past potential offense. She, she decided to ignore offense and go after him. She knew he could heal her daughter. And that was what she cared about. Man, when you need a miracle, it's not a time to be sensitive. It's not a time to be easily offended when you need a miracle in your life. Right? Man, there's certain things that God, that people want when they come to church, certain things that they need in their life. And I wonder if we just need to push past some potential offenses with people. Because the church like I said last week, is people. You are the church. And when we get around other people, we have people from different backgrounds. We have people that are at different levels of life, different stages of life, different ages of life. One thing I love about Vision Church is, man, we have zero to 94. Thank you. I know you guys are holding up the floor. I was going 90. And because she drives a red Mustang. Come on now. I love it. But... But I mean, we have, young at heart, staying that way, we have zero to 94 in here. That's a big spread. That's a dynamic situation, right? So we have an opportunity to fellowship with everybody in the church and get to know people. And, but if we're easily offended, we're not going to stay around very long. Offense is very self-centered. It's a very self-centered thing to be. Why? Because it's all about you. When we're singing, it's all about him. Yeah, yeah. So why don't I go to church anymore? Some people say I've been hurt by the church. I've been hurt by Christians. And let me tell you, you can't afford to let what people don't see become what you see in your life. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some other things here. So what happens? You let, you let the hurt by people turn you away from and rob you with intimacy with God. This is one of the most astounding things that, that's amazing to me. People get offended at a church and they decide not to go anymore, so they punish God for that offense. Think about that one. Digest that one. Because what happens when you're away from church? Start sliding away from the word, slipping away from prayer. It happens because offense goes with you. My wife and I have a saying that wherever you go, there you are. Yeah, that means that it goes with you. Whatever's in you goes with you. Let me, let me, let me share this with you. There, there's a couple, and Nicole and I are friends with. We don't see them very often. Um, but when we do... Uh, they tell us about their church and what's going on. And what happened, they were part of a wonderful church and they were very involved. And what happened was the pastor made a decision that they didn't like and it, and it had to do with a ministry that they were a part of. They didn't like that decision. And now suddenly, 
they began to find many other things that were wrong in the ministry and with this pastor. And, and so then they left that church and they went to another church. Well, every time we would get together, they would, they would talk about two or at least two things that, about this old church that they're not even a part of anymore. And then what happened was they, they talked about one thing that they are not real keen on on the next church. Why? Because they are where they went. I mean, it went with them. That hurt. And, and so what happens is when, when you walk into a place and you're carrying this hurt from an old place, it, it's, like, it's like the old S&H green stamps. When I was a kid, my mom used to shop at a store called S&H. And they had a book and they would give you these little green stamps. And every time you bought something, you would put the stamps in the book. You'd get so many stamps each time you buy, and you'd put them in the book. Many of you are shaking your head yes. Those of you that are millennials or Gen Zers, this would be like an app where you get points. All right, same, same concept, you know, but we didn't have apps back then, you know. And, and so we as the kids, we love to lick the stamps because the stamps taste good, you know. You, like, you stick them on, and they're crooked, you know, but they're on. And then what happened? You take your book and you take it back to the store and you get a free toaster or something, right? And so, so I remember doing that, but this is the way offense works. Because this couple I just told you about, they came from this church and they found all these things that were wrong with this church and now they're at this new church. What happened? They filled their book. The first time that pastor made that decision, uh-huh. That's one. What's happened now? The countdown has started. Why? You got a stamp in your book when you're not even supposed to have a book. You're supposed to set that thing on fire. You're not even supposed to have a book. But they had a book. And they put another stamp in. And that's another one. And that's another one. And then they get down to the last one and they put that stamp in the book and they go, that's it? I'm out of here. That's the final straw. What's happened? Offense has just manifested in your life. And how, and how do you know that it hasn't taken you from where you were supposed to be, where God could develop in you what he wanted to develop, but you allowed fence to kick the legs out from under it? So we say, well, you know, I'm only this way because of what I've been through. Man, when you get this stuff in your heart, what it does is it robs you of a true, viable relationship with Jesus. This hurt, this offense. So never let the negative thing produce something negative in you. Let it teach you. We need to allow stuff to be our teacher and let it help us instead of cause us to become more bitter or more offended. You know, because the flesh looks weak and, and it always looks for a place where it can justify the condition of offense. Well, this happened to me 10 years ago. Well, that was 10 years ago. Why are you allowing what happened 10 years ago to tell you who you are today? Why, Becca, go ahead and help me here. Why are you allowing the sin that came against you to produce sin in you? You're a Christian. 
we're supposed to walk in love and forgiveness. Let me, t- let me read an encouraging verse to you. <laughs> it's an encouraging verse. It's over in Luke 17. It says, verse 1, it is impossible that offenses should, come, should not come. Isn't that encouraging? Yeah, I thought you'd find that encouraging. Offense is going to come. Hurt is going to come. The question is, what are you going to do with it? You don't have to take the offense. You know, I talked last week a little bit about the Saturn cars and how they have that, they have those polymer panels that stuff just bounced off of the cars. And that's the way that we're supposed to be. We're supposed to let stuff bounce off of us and not take things personally. You know why you're taking things personally? Because you haven't taken him personally. Come on. Because you're looking at people purely at the external. You're looking at them purely in the physical sense. And let me read a scripture to you. Turn over to 2 Corinthians. I was studying, man, I've been, the Lord has had me in 2 Corinthians 5. And it's been so powerful. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And look at verse 14. If you're there, say amen. Look at verse 14. It says, For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus that if one died for us all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. And this is the verse that got me. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. We regard no one according to the flesh. Think about that. Many times our emphasis is so much on the physical condition of the person, we can't even see the spiritual condition of the person. And this is what Paul is talking about, is we need to be more interested in the spiritual condition of a person. When when we were raising our kids and, and correction had to come because something happened, what Nicole and I were always looking for in our kids was a heart change. A change that happened on the inside, not the external, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and cry and tears. I mean, all that, you know, all that's related to physical emotion. But I'm looking for the heart change. Whenever I go to God, I'm not looking for a physical slap on the hand. I'm looking for God, how can you massage my heart, change my heart in this? Because I want to stay pliable. He said that I would take your heart of stone and I would give you a heart of flesh. What's he talking about? A heart of flesh that's teachable. A heart of flesh that, that is not hard and stubborn and calloused to the things of God. And so I want to, I want to encourage you. This Man, this was burning in me that we can't allow hurt in us to affect our lives the way that it's been affecting us get offended, get easily turned off, and then you start ghosting people, don't return calls, don't respond to a text, punishing people 
for something you're hurt by. Man, God wants us to come up and to become mature in the things of, of Him. You know, he, God is saying, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He's not saying, He's not saying, yeah, look at me. I'm, I'm much smarter than you. That's a given. What he's saying is, I want you to come up in your thinking. I want you to come up in your faith. Faith. I want you to come up in your maturity level so that you're no longer hurt and easily offended. We can't afford this in the church. This is why there's such a division in the church. Because we can't, we, we don't have any tolerance for each other. There was a guy, um, as when we were traveling to ministry, <clears throat> we had a walk-through theater experience that presented the gospel. Now, I remember there was a young man that walked through and he had been through the production. At the end of the production, they would sit down. We had 50 women on one side, 50 men on the other side, and they were encouragers, you know, kind of counselors, but California wouldn't let us call them counselors, so we called them encouragers. And so, so the women would come out and they would sit down with the women. The men would come out, they would sit down with the men. And when the men, this one guy came down and he sat down, he was a younger guy and he sat down with a guy that was in his mid seventies. And he went through all of our training on how, you know, how to have a conversation with people. We had him ask important questions like, you know, do you have a home church? You know, and people would always say yes. And then you would say, what, what's the pastor's name? And they would go, uh, it's, uh, been there in a while have you no a couple easters ago so i mean there was a there was a method to the madness we would ask you know specific questions anyway and so he began to take this guy through these questions and that guy said listen i can save you a bunch of time my dad is a pastor i'm very involved in my church i'm a christian i know what it's like um you know i know what you're trying to do here and and i support it i'm excited for you guys and the old the older guy said okay well I mean, I understand that. He said, well, let me ask you this. Is there anything I can pray with you about? As well, you know, just, just pray that God would help me be a better Christian, you know. And he said, okay. He said, well, we'll pray. And he said, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this sticky note and I want you to write on there your greatest need. He said, nobody will know that it's yours. But you see that cross over there? We had a cross in the corner and the cross was just covered with these sticky notes all during the night. People would pin their greatest need on that cross. And if you don't mind, would you mind just writing your greatest need on there and then you can pin it to the cross. And so this young guy, he wrote his greatest need and he goes, okay, thank you very much. The old man, the, I'm sorry, the 75 year old, he wasn't old. Sorry, oh man, I'm just digging a hole right there. <laughs> sorry, okay. He prayed for him. The mature man prayed for him. And when he prayed, after he prayed, the younger guy got up to leave and then he stopped and he turned around and he sat back down and he said, well, he said, I'm sorry, I wasn't completely honest with you. He said, there is, there is one thing. And the encourager, the encourager said, well, what's going on? He said, well, he said, I, you know, my dad's a pastor and I'm involved at the church, I lead worship. He said, but I, I've been live, secretly living a homosexual lifestyle for years. He said, my father doesn't know, my parents don't know. He said, I'm not happy to admit it, but I wanna get free. So the encourager, the 75 year old man looked at him and went, 
I mean, he didn't know how to respond. Why? Because our first inclination is to look at people in the natural, the physical condition of the person. And when he found out the spiritual condition, he was stunned. But you know what happened? That man got free that night. (sighs) And that that 75-year-old man, he was so inspired by that situation that now, today, every day, he's retired. So he goes to Walmart every day. He doesn't go to shop. He said, I'm going to share the gospel and I'm going to pray with 10 people before I come home. And that's his mission. He goes to Walmart. Sometimes he gets home at two. Sometimes he gets home at seven. But he stays till he prays with 10 people. There's another place in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is one of the this is one of the responsibilities of a person that's a new creation in Christ, is to persuade those around you. I mean, let me ask you, if a house was on fire and you saw somebody was you knew somebody was in there but the house was on fire over here wouldn't you do everything in your power to get them out of there 